Hey guys, Reward Sabanda here and um, welcome to the podcast, man. I am so excited uh, for you guys to hear what the Lord was just saying um, in this particular conversation. Uh, calling battlefilic, but it's raising a generation that knows how to fight for the one, the power of the one. Jesus' philosophy was always empowering the one to go out and shift destinies. So yeah, I'm excited for you to hear what that's all about. God bless you guys. Because this is, this, is, this is the thing. If you've been around for a while and you've heard this man speak, uh, you know he's a gift. And you know he's gifted. Um, but I want to tell you the honor and the inclination of our ear this morning isn't just because he's gifted. It's because he's appointed to release the word of the Lord. And so, man, we honor you as a herald this morning. Let her rip. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man. Am I live? Can you hear the words coming out? Is, am I good? Can you guys hear? Okay, all right. That's not my natural voice. All right. Good morning, Upper Room. How are you guys doing this morning? All right. Let's, uh, let's try that again. I know some of you guys don't know, but we have prescription-grade coffee out there. And uh, if you didn't get that, you need to get that in your spirit. Because when an African speaks, it's a party. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm a hollaback preacher. You feel me? It's that type of conversation. So, uh, yeah, you're going to get a little uncomfortable, but that's good because, right, we're loud, right? Have you ever been around Africans when they celebrate, like they go, well, that, that, that's what I feel like the house of your father should be. Come on, somebody. So, yeah. So, let's try that again. Good morning, Upper Room. How are you guys doing this morning? Let's go. All right. All right. I am home. I am home. Man, this is a good house. This is a good house, man. Welcome to your father's house. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to your father's house. Welcome to your father's house. And I see all those warriors in orange over there. Hey, welcome to your father's house. It is so good to have you guys here. Thank God for y'all. Thank God for y'all. Thank God for the sons. But hey, this is a, this is a good house. Rev, thank you so much, man. I, I really. How many of you guys love Rev Kev? Come on. Man, this man is one of the funniest, wisest, most intellectual people that you can ever see that cross. Like, literally for the last two years, I've just kind of sat under just his, his teaching and just like seeing how he is. And I've been deeply impacted by just his heart for people, his heart for this house, and his heart for the kingdom and everything. And so we all know that God is a God of principle, right? And the Bible says if you're faithful with the little, he doesn't make you faithful over much. What does he make you? Ruler, right? He says if you're faithful with the little, he makes you ruler over much. So it was with so much kind of like joy and excitement when I found out when our leadership went and they kind of prayed and they were like, hey, we're taking everything that this man has done in his giftings and everything. We're taking him from the scope of what he's done with this campus, this incredible campus, how he's built this family, right? And built a home for us. And we want that for each and every single one of our campuses. So instead of just him being the campus pastor, we're going to make him the global pastor, just oversight, like future campuses and everything. Isn't that incredible? Can we just honor this man of God for what God has done through him? This is a good house, man. I, I, I say that, uh, Rev Kev, thank you so much for everything that you pour into everyone you cross paths with. He's, he's a good man in a, in, a, in a good house. It's a good house because it's a clean house. Come on. Can we give it up for all the people who make sure that this house is clean? Come on. Yes. It's a good house because we got good worship. Can we give it up for our worship team in this house? Come on. It's a good house because it's a safe house. Come on, Sly, Jason. 
Kyle, can we give it up for our security team and everything? But we all know that um, that's not really what makes a good house. You, you, you can have a clean house, which is a bad house, right? I mean, you can have a house with good music, but it's a bad house. The truth of the matter is that it's the leadership that makes a house a good house, because culture always flows from the top down. And so, man, we have incredible leadership in this house. Like, we have amazing elders in this house. Can we just honor our elders and all their yes and everything that they do? And uh, yes, thank you. That man has the right idea. Can we stand up and honor our elders? Thank you, brother. That's the kingdom right there. Come on. Come on. Thank you all so much for your yes and your oversight. And, uh, oh, y'all going to be up and down. The whole sermon is this. <laughs> and we have good parents in this house. Come on, somebody. How many of you guys love our mama and papa, Michael and Larissa? Come on. Their yes is so incredible. I love that they've said yes to what God has said and that their lives are consistent with pursuit and desire. They live for the one thing and they empower every single person in their vicinity. So I love that. So we have our elders and we have um, our pastors. And then um, uh, Miller was just like, hey, could you kind of share like just uh, with all the changes that's kind of happening, uh, how it all works and everything, what the, the model looks like. And so I just want to share that with you guys so you can understand how this house works, right? Our, our, our mantra, our motto is his presence transforming lives morning, noon, and night. And so we have, um, we have our elders we have Michael, and then we have uh, the incredible Peter Slover, right? He's our executive pastor, and he does all those things. So Michael, they'll go before the presence of God, and they get the vision and everything. And then they'll come, and then Peter's like, all right, now how do we execute? You know what I'm talking about? If you're in a, any marriage, you understand what I'm talking about. I'll go out there and get those crazy ideas, and I, I have to bring them to my wife. And she was right in that moment. She's like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Or, huh, okay. You said there's chocolate? Okay, we could make that work. So that's... Uh, I feel like that, that, that's what happened. He, he gets to execute on that. But here at our church level, what we do is divided into three aspects, essentially. And they've called it the MOP, M-O-P. And basically, uh, there's the ministries, right? So all our ministries, men's, women's, children's, discipleship, if it's a ministry, right? Um, that is what we call our ministries pillar, essentially. And I'm the associate pastor over all of our ministries, and then we have our operations, right? It's like, okay, what happens with our, everything that makes this house run on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And all the things like HR and everything and all that. And we have a man by the name of Skylar Carlisle, and he is our operations director. He's over that, an incredible man. I call him Archbishop, just so I can see him blush, because he's that humble, come on. But he's an, he is a genius. His mind and his heart are for this house, and he's incredible. And then we have our P, which is our prayer and presence. Come on, somebody. That's where we have our man, J. Lou, over that. Come on, somebody. The humblest man who ever lived. He could have written the book of Genesis. He is that humble. Come on. Come on. A.K.A. the cherubim. I love this man. And I just love his heart for... He literally lives in the third heavens. And then he'll kind of eventually, occasionally come down and kind of uh, help us out with what that looks like. But yeah, these are, these are the people that basically the Lord has kind of called um, to this house to just make sure that when you come in, it feels like a good house and feels like it's welcoming and everything. The best way to break it down is, right, it's his presence transforming lives. The his presence part right there, right? 
that's Jay Lu and his incredible team and worship and everything, Johnny and everything, they all kind of yeah, come together in that and everything. The transforming lives aspect of it, when you come in here, is the transformation, does it translate? Are you discipled? Are you doing that? Are your kids taking care of all of that? That's essentially where I go in. And morning, noon, and night, which speaks about process and procedure and making sure everything happens. That's essentially what Skylar does. And that is how the uproom essentially works and everything. So does this make sense? Yes. Awesome. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about And we just shift uh, to uh, accept that associate pastor role recently with my wife. And it's just been incredible just sitting at the feet of Rev and just learning as much as we can. And um, I honor my wife because let me tell you this. As men, we accept the job, but our wives accept the calling. Come on, somebody. Right? We accept the job, but our wives accept the calling. They get all the cheap shots. They get to get the leftover time. You know what I'm talking about? They get to listen, to, to hear stories about people they couldn't even really care about, but because we're passionate about them, they carry it. So if you guys don't mind, could we honor every spouse whose husband has said yes to the call in this house? Come on. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I... Um, uh, Appreciate you guys. Now we're going to have a conversation and we're going to jump into a time of ministry and, and, and warfare. And that conversation is about warfare. Come on. I, I promise you I'm not the beef guy. You know what I'm saying? It's like that guy is always screaming and going after the enemy. I'm, I'm not always on a perennial witch hunt. You know what I'm saying? It's just that I, I fundamentally understand something and it's true in the scripture. And it basically says that the, the, the enemy, right, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the Bible also says that the, the Satan is the father of lies. So how do you deal with a lying, thieving, genocidal destroyer? How many of you guys know that it's, it's not logic? It's not reason. It's not rationale. Come on. Someone like that understands one language and one language only. And that is the language of violence. The, the, the language of ascertaining what is rightfully yours and making sure that he does not any take any territory that is marked for you and earmarked for you. Come on. So our, our, our response, we stand firm in the blood of Jesus and we go after this. And warfare, we need to learn warfare because the enemy is always going to come against you. So this conversation is going to be about that. So basically, we're going to talk about um, how do we fight for the things that we, we care about. And then we're going to go deep into the why. Why should we fight? And that's where we want to talk about the one, the power of the one. Why or who, right? The people that we fight to protect. And then at the end of that, we're, we're going to have our team up here and we're just going to go after everything that's ours. I, I felt like, and I was sharing this with people and they were praying in the back, um, there's an anointing, a unique anointing right here to pray for the souls of people who are lost or in bondage or, or whatever it is. So here's some good news for you guys. And watch time make me a prophet. But at the end of the service, someone is getting a call from a long lost relative and they're going to be coming home, right? Someone's life is going to be radically transformed because that's what the power of God does when it comes into a room. We're going to go and violently apprehend that which has violently apprehended us. Amen. And so with that, I would love for us to stand up for the reading of the word. And then we're going to jump into um, our conversation. And so there's some scriptures I want us to read together as the good family that we are. And then we are um, going to jump into it. The first one is Nehemiah 4 verse 13 to 14. And I will read this from the Amplified. And it says, So I stationed armed men behind the wall in the lowest places at the open position where it was least protected. And I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. Come on, somebody. 
How many of you guys know that beef is a family affair? You know what I'm talking about, right? When the enemy comes and attacks someone in your family, it's for everybody else to kind of rise in everything. Listen, your boy comes from a family, there's 13 of us, right? Eight boys and five girls. How many of you guys know that no one ever used to mess with my sisters? Because they knew there were eight boys, well, seven and a half. I mean, you see me, you know what I'm saying? But they knew that there were eight boys there, and if you mess with one, you mess with all of them, right? So the fight is about the family. And so I love this. This Nehemiah talking, he's like, hey, in the places in the wall where there were gaps and everything, I stationed people by families. The fight is for you and for your family. Come on, somebody. With their swords, spears, and bows. And when I saw their fear, so they were stationed and they were in these places, but there was fear. Because how many of you guys know that fear is irrational? Fear is irrational because it always tells it in an alternate narrative. But this is what he says. When I saw that fear and I stood and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Confidently remember the Lord who is great and fearsome and with courage fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and for your homes. Come on, somebody. How many of you guys know that the devil is wreaking havoc over someone's son, over someone's daughter? over someone's wife and husband, over someone's marriage, over someone's family, over someone's children. Come on. But we're about to get scrappy up in this place. Come on, somebody. We're going to fight for these things. Jesus, right? He's a warrior. He's a warrior. He's the prince of peace. That doesn't mean he's a hippie, right? It's the type of peace that you get on the other side of war. Come on. Proverbs 13, verse 22. Let's read it together, if we may. Says, a good man lives an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Sorry, Pentecostals, I'm not about to make you name and claim the wealth of the sinner. No, that I want to focus on the front part of it. It says, a good man lives an inheritance to his children's children. We fight battles so we can live an inheritance, and that act of living something for your children is what the Bible qualifies as good. Amen. First uh, Timothy 1:18. Let's read it together. Ready? This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. This is how we fight. We take the word of God or we take the words that have been spoken over us. We stand over them and we assert our rightful claim to those things and they manifest. And that is why it's good warfare because that warfare, we already have the cheat codes, right? Preemptively on the front end of it. And I love it. And I love that. And then Judges 3, verse 1 to 2, and this is what it says. It says, these are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. Everybody say, no experience. How many of you guys know that? No experience is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. <laughs> like, wherever you go, like, literally. Uh, no experience. Like, if you have no experience, you don't get the job, right? Yeah. I don't care who it is. I, I still remember this. It's like, um, it's, it's, it's like having no credit. I, I was told that no credit is actually worse than bad credit. I was like, what? Are you guys for real? And, and, and I'm t- I still remember this. Um, my wife was talking to, uh, to me, Pam, and everything. And, and, and uh, your boy had bad credit. You know what I'm saying? I had like... Bad, bad, bad. I had credit in double digits, you know what I'm saying? You show up somewhere, you're like, hey, what's, what, what's your credit score? Uh, 33. No, your, your credit, not your age. Uh, zero, three, three. No, I'm kidding. But, but I had bad credit, right? And I still remember what Pam said. Pam was like, hey, you have to fix your credit because credit is the GPA of adulting. 
I was like, that's deep. I was like, yeah, it's the GPA of adults. That's the number that people look at to see how good you're adulting. I was like, all right. And so I still remember there was a guy called, uh, his name was Michael, he was in the upper room like way back in the day over there. And he always used to wear all those flashy shirts and everything. I still remember I approached Michael. I'm like, bro, I love your style, man. That's incredible. Your shirts. He's like, bro, it's my wife. He's like, let me tell you something. This will change your life. I'm like, what? He's like, bro, if you don't have it, marry it. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, if you don't have fashion, good style, marry good style. He's like, if you don't have good credit, marry good credit. Come on, somebody, right? So I married good credit. I married style. Matter of fact, I'm not even ashamed. My wife dressed me today. I came out ready. I had a black t-shirt, black jeans, and black one. I was ready to go. She's like, no, you need a little color. So I was like, oh, that's good, because I have a Dr. Pepper t-shirt that I've been dying to. She's like, no, let me dress you. Come on. So she got to dress your boy and everything. And a true story, I still remember this. We were coming out of the prayer, and we were just like, um, you know when you're in that somber spiritual moment, and you're like, what I mean, she comes up to me, and she's got, I think it was like oil in her hand or something. And so I prepare myself, and I'm like, she's about to drop something, you know, spiritual, like a prophetic word and everything. She's like, come here. You have the ashiest knees I've ever seen. <laughs> she's like, we can't have you going out there looking like that. So literally, she put like lotion on your boy or whatever it was. But that's the power. That's the power of a good wife. <laughs> and everything. So all that to say, hey, no experience. No experience. I feel like there's that indictment on our generation right now because we've been born into such a blessing, right? If you're American, you're blessed. You're, it's just the way. You are born into that place, blessing. And the side effect of being born into the blessing is always the fact that you don't know the price to acquire what that blessing is, right? And consequently, then, if you were to lose that blessing, you don't really know the true value, so you do not know how to fight to defend it. And so I feel like this right here is all the wars that the Israelites, the young generation of Israelites were fighting, was not because they had sinned, it wasn't because they had done anything, it was because they had been born into the privilege of peace. And now the Lord had to teach them into war because whatever assignment he's sending you into, because it's an assignment of taking territory, you will have to learn how to fight. Come on. You're either living the fight of your life or headed into the fight of your life. But the beautiful thing is that we have the spirit of the conquering one on the inside of us. And at the end, we win. Come on, somebody. So let's pray. Father, I just come before and I just thank you for your word right now, Lord. I just thank you for the hearts of your, for your children. I just, uh, Father, we just lay down any pressure, anything outside of this moment with you, Father. We lay it down and we say, Holy Spirit, encounter us, speak to us. Go to the deepest hearts right now. I pray that they wouldn't hear concepts and ideas, but they would literally hear the counsel of the Godhead. Come, Holy Spirit, you're the CEO of this conversation. Take it where you want it to go, Father. I lay it at your feet, I lay it at the altar, and I say, you encounter your children. And I thank you that your word is coming forth and breaking every fallow ground. I thank you that your, your, your word is a siren call that calls your children back home. I just thank you that hearts are being mended in this room and that they will have an encounter with you. So we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, high five the person next to you and say, let's roll. Now, the title of my conversation, and it's a conversation because remember I said it's a hollow back, we're going back and forth, is Battlephilic. Everybody say Battlephilic. 
All right, now if you guys remember, I did a conversation the last time, and it was battlephobic, battle fighting, and phobic, right? The irrational fear of something. Like I said, fear is very irrational. My wife has an irrational fear of bugs. Come on, somebody. It's like, I don't care what um, motivational speaker spoke to this little bug and told it it was going to do great things in its life. Killing my wife was not one of those things. But anytime there is a bug, this woman who works in the ER and saves lives her entire, like she will literally jump on a couch because she, it's irrational. Come on, somebody. So that, that's the thing with fear. It's irrational. So, so battlephobic was that, that first conversation. It was talking about the irrational fear that our generation has for battle. And I felt like just as I was praying that this should be a follow-up and battlephilic, like, like a battlefire, like someone who loves something. Because I feel like until we're a generation that loves to fight, the enemy is going to keep messing with us, right? Right? It's one thing to not be afraid of battle, right? He's still going to come at opportune times and try to whatever. But how many of you guys know that if you know someone just loves to beef, you just stay away from them? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I'm going to stay away from that fool. That dude crazy. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, that's what I feel like we're supposed to be. Like the Bible says like to rejoice as a strong man to run in battle. I feel like instead of just not being battlephobic, there has to be a lean to where we're battlephilic. And that's what this conversation is, is about because I want us to have a conversation. And towards the end, we're going to go after all the lost and everything. Now, a little disclaimer before we really jump into this about my type of communication. I've said this before, but I'm saying this so uh, to bring remembrance and a reminder to this. So... Every single time you communicate the word, right, when you have the pleasure and the privilege of communicating the word, transformation is always the end goal. You take people on a journey off, through, and to transformation, right? So transformation is always the goal. But there's different ways you get there. There's preachers. Come on. Preaching is transformation through inspiration. Come on, somebody. When you preach, you speak to the heart of people. Come on, think the Braveheart speech and everything. You're like, ah, and they're like, I can do anything, right? It's like the the word for preaching is like uh, caruso, where literally it says to hurl the good news. Come on, somebody. If you've ever heard Brian Barcelona speak, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you ever heard Peter from Braveheart speak, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh my gosh, I can do this. I am the righteousness of God. And it speaks to the inside of you, and it causes you to rise up, right? Now, teaching is different. Teaching is transformation through information. So I basically come and I give you tools for your cognitive doggy bags, right? Tools to where when the music dies down and Alyssa and J. Lou are not up here like, you know, spinning portals in the atmosphere of heaven and you're home alone and you just got that call, you can go back into your notes and get tools and everything and reproduce the victory and walk into it. That's what teaching is. And the reason I'm saying this is because when you listen for preaching, you listen with your heart, you open your heart. And you wait for it to come and transform you. But with teachings, you engage your mind. You look for the practical, the praxis of what the communication and the conversation is about. So that's why I want you guys to shift and literally go, right? Close this for a second and we're going to use it at the end. But for now, I want you to engage this and to kind of take notes because we're going to go deep into the word. And uh, every good teacher uses a good textbook. Come on, somebody. So we're going to be in the text, y'all. Like, we are going to be deep in the text. We're going to be deep, deep. We're going to read the word, word. You, you, you feel me? All right. So how many of you guys are going to hang with me towards the end? I mean, all the way to the end. Sorry, not towards the end. There we go. So every revelation I have, every single time you want to understand what something does and what something is all about, 
right? And men, I know we're allergic to this, but you have to go to the manual. Come on, somebody. There's just something inherent in us as men that just pushes back against any instruction, right? It's like, I don't care if we get lost, I'm going to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? I don't care if it takes me like four hours to put this IKEA crib together when it could have taken me 10 minutes. It's not about this. I will take my four hours wife and I will still call you to come and give me glory when I'm done because that's what we do as men, right? It's just one of those. But when it comes to humanity, in order for us to understand, I like what Dr. Miles Monroe says. He says, when purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. If you don't know the purpose of a thing with your best intentions, you will abuse that thing. That's why some of us in relationships, I like what Pam was sharing this and everything. He's like, hey, if you're in relationship with someone who is not a Christian, it has nothing to do with the relational dynamic. It's got everything to do that they do not have a revelation of selfless love. And by virtue of that, they will abuse you with their best intentions. When purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. So if we want to understand our purpose as humanity, we have to go back, back to the creation almanac, back to our manual for creation. That is the book of Genesis, right? And in the book of Genesis, um, so God comes and, you know, the earth is at our form and void. And the first thing that we see about our God is that he speaks, right? And so that's one thing that you, whenever you go to God, know that he's a God who speaks. And you should always listen. And so the next thing is he begins to speak and things begin to be created. And the next thing we know about our God, before we're ever even in the picture, is that our God is creative. He is creator. So as the people that are made in his image, we're constantly having to create things, right? It's just the way we are. So we go, and then when we get to um, Genesis 26, that's where now he's crafted the perfect world and the perfect atmosphere, and that's where man is introduced into the picture. And if you want to understand everything about the human experience and human expression, we need to understand this. Genesis 1, verse 26 to 29. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Everybody say image. And according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the, um, and over all and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he says, make man in our image and according to our likeness. At first I thought it was redundancy, but when you do a word study on the etymology of those two words, you understand something very fundamental. He's literally saying, let us make man in our form to execute our function. So you are made in the form of God. Look at everything about who you are, right? You are a tripartite, three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit being with an intellect and you traverse the universe with a mechanical or a physical body. That's who you are. And when you look at even that dynamic of the Trinity, right? The council of the Godhead is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they exist, right? In this. So, so even the way that you are made, you are made in this tripartite thing. You are made in the form, you are made in the image of God. But then after he makes you in his image, because God is also the God exists in eternal purpose. Then he turns around and he gives you a purpose, and that is your function. And what was that function according to this? It was dominion. Everybody say dominion. dominion. So say it with me. Say, I'm made in the form of God, made in the form of God. To, execute the function of God. to execute the function of God. You are a divine construct, and you have a divine context. Say it with me. Say, I'm a divine construct. And I have a divine context. 
See, there's some of you that God is going to send into specific contexts, right? Like my, my brother over here, he sends you out into, into, in, into music, right? My brother over here might send you into security, right? Someone else, he sends you into the temple. To go, whatever it is, all of us are constructs and we have a context. And it's very important to understand that. Because unless we understand that we're here for something, right? Then we will always wander aimlessly because then any path will take us to that place, right? And so we have this. Verse 27, it says, So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female created he them. That's verse 27. That's form, right? It's clear. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. That is function. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God says, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed, so it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, if there is life, I have given every herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything he had made, and it was indeed very good. So when you are, when he made man in that context, he blessed them. So when you find yourself in the context that God has created you to operate in, there is a blessing. What is a blessing? It's a divine, it's a divine empowerment to excel and to prosper. Come on, somebody. Right? I'm pretty sure Alyssa could make an incredible martial arts instructor. Come on. And I'm sure God could bless her with that and everything. But when she's in her context of worship, how many of you guys know that there's a blessing? You can literally see God's blessing over that. You know what I'm saying? That's the power of context right there. It says, then God saw everything that he had made and he did was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So six days of work, one day of rest. Come on. That's the formula. And it's very important not to get those mixed up. Come on, somebody. All right. It's, um, anyways, let me go ahead. So God gives man in Genesis a, a mandate, right? A manifest destiny, and it's for dominance. And every single struggle that you will ever face in life is an affront to that manifest destiny, to that dominance. For example, sickness is an affront to the health dominance, to you dominating the health, which is your divine mandate. You see what I'm saying? Lack is an affront to your divine manifestation, which is abundance, right? And everything that it is. And, and, and literally the strategy of warfare is us seeing those things which are uniquely us by the power of sonship and then walking through this world and rectifying all those and bringing those things into alignment. See, that's essentially what Jesus would do. He would literally walk through everything, and because he was a son and he knew he was in right alignment with the Father, whenever he'd see anything which was misaligned with God's original intent over that person, over their life or whatever, right? And he's like, he would literally pull that person into the gravity of his sonship and command that thing to be so, and it was. You know, you see what I'm saying? So here's the, so, so that's how it is. Anything that you're facing right now, the strategy for warfare, is you find the promise. You find the promise for your problem. Are you sick? There's a promise for that, right? Are you in lack? There's a promise for that. Are you praying for your children? There's a promise for that. So the word literally, this right here is our constitution. It's our constitution. And so you find that promise and in prayer, right? In right standing with God, rightly aligned, knowing that you have Jesus' relationship with the Father. Right? You have his relationship, you're covered in his righteousness. From that point, you know that in Christ, that's what the Bible says, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So as long as you're in right standing with Christ, right, 
then everything that you speak, as long as it's in alignment with God's will, is granted to you because of his relationship with the Father. Here's something fundamental for you guys to, to, to understand. See, when you say yes to Jesus, you don't get a relationship with the Father. You get his relationship with the Father. See, when, when, when you stand before God, he sees his son Jesus. And knowing that you and Jesus' interests are aligned, when you speak something, it's the authority of his son through you and things align. And that is the power of sonship. That's the power of people who walk in sonship. That's the power of people who walk through this earth and when they see anything misaligned, they pull people into the gravity of their sonship. They pull people into the gravity of their sonship. We see this. Romans 8 talks about this. It says every chaos that exists in the world is because creation is waiting for the manifestation of sons. Come on, somebody. That's why Jesus, that's why Jesus can snip through a storm, right? His sleeping is a storm. Why? Because he's got more peace on the inside than there is outside. He knows that he has a divine function. He knows his time hasn't come. So why should he be bothered? But when the people around him are like, hey, don't you care that we're perishing? He's like, where is your faith? Why do you not believe? Right? That my father is your father. So he wakes up and then from the peace that's on the inside of him, he pulls the storm around him into the peace that's on the inside of him. Because that's what sons do, right? We pull everything misaligned to the kingdom of our father into the gravity of our sonship. And you don't have to be on the pulpit to stand this. That's why he sends us out of this for. We come here, we get juiced up on worship, we get excited, and then we go out there into a different context. Wherever the wall has a breach, us and our families stand there, and we extend an in conversation and relationship. We're pulling and rectifying things into the gravity of our sonship. We're forces of entropy. Physics says that, um, uh, sorry, syntropy. Physics says that everything around us is in a state of entropy. It's literally winding down and it's going into a state of chaos. But when we walk in, we are walking atmospheres of the kingdom of our Father. Come on, somebody. And I want you guys to lean into that as sons and daughters, right? There's nothing. You don't have to rationalize it. You don't have to say, well, what if I, I, I pray for healing and they don't? No. Get angry. Get angry that the divine design of your father has been so marred by sin that there's someone right here who is walking. That's what Jesus says. He says, do you not care that a daughter of Abraham, do you not care that they have been in bondage for all these years and all you can think about is, did I violate the Sabbath? Come on, somebody. We're called to this. When you see someone who's sick, all right, it's not your business whether or not they're going to get healed. It's like you call that thing into alignment and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And you go about your way. That's what sons do. And it translates not just spiritually, even relationally. Let me tell you something. Bishop, could you stand up, Mufa? This guy right here, Wherever he goes, the way this man loves people, wherever he goes, you will never be depressed. If I'm standing here and I'm depressed, there's a magnetic pull to the sonship that's on inside this man. And all of a sudden, I feel better. I've experienced it over and over and over again because that's essentially what happens, right? I've said this about my wife. You can't be a woman and have a crooked crown around my wife. You know what I'm saying? She'll take care of that. She'll fix it. Why? She draws people into the divinity and the sonship of who she is, Cindy. Just incredible things with her team and everything. You will feel mothered and loved and everything. Why? Because that's what sons do. Right? And so back to this. So what is warfare? You find the promise for your problem, right? It's the clapback. And then you pray the promise of your problem. But we're not praying like, like, like we Africans pray. It's like, ah, la, 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 la. no, right? 
our, our prayer from a positional place, because Ephesians 2 essentially says we're born seated in heavenly places with him, far above every principality and power and dominion. So all the things that are holding you to a lesser responsibility, right? When you cried your first cry in him, you're already seated far above. I'm talking top shelf stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Yeah. So your prayer, right, when you see this, when, when Paul is talking about this, in every single one of his epistles, how does he begin? Yeah. Paul. Paul, right? Yeah. Thank, thanksgiving. Right? Paul, a, this, he asserts his identity. Yeah. And then the next thing that Paul always does is he says thanksgiving to the fact that he did not earn that identity, but it was a gift. Thanks be to God who caused us to triumph, right? We thank God for this and everything. So your prayer is literally you coming and saying, Father, I thank you that I used to be a, 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 a pornographic hook screw up, but you call me by your name and you wash me by the blood of your son and now I can stand in front of people and pull other people from, Father, I thank you that you've done this. Father, I thank you that your divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. So I just command the circumstances of this lack to line up with this. Father, your word says that you give me the power to create wealth. So Father, I just ask for divine ideas right now to be able to build things which will add value to this world, give glory to you. Father, I thank you that I have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So when I go into this particular interview, this entire book right here is freaking six flags on steroids. I promise you. You find the promises and your walk becomes incredible. It's so much fun. The Bible says, behold what men of love, the Father has lavished on us. Do you know what lavish is? It's how Pam puts peanut butter on sandwiches. You know what I'm saying? There's more peanut butter than sandwich. You know what I'm saying? It's lavish. This right here, 66 books of God's divine goodness to you. And then he sends us into a dying and dark world. And he's like, there's your playground, boys. Come on, somebody. And he sits back and he stands on the balcony of heaven with all the other saints that have gone before us. And he's like, oh, there's my boy Jordan. What's Jordan going to do? Oh, no one's going to feel undiscipled in this place. Come on, get him, Jordan. Get him with that accent. Come on, get him, baby. You know what I'm talking about. That's what he does. Heaven is watching. Listen to me, guys. Do you understand that in the Old Testament, right? The Bible says up until the, the, the days of um, the, the, the law and the prophets were up until John the Baptist. But from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Do you understand what it's saying? Basically, it's saying, hey, before the days of John the Baptist, you had to be born into a particular family line in order for you to be able to even be in proximity to the presence. But from the day of John the Baptist, right, the same presence that killed Uzzah when he touched it now dwells on the inside of you. Do you understand that? Uh, like literally, Hebrews 12, when, he, when he's talking about that, there is people standing on the balcony of heaven watching. I think it's curiosity. I think they're like, oh my gosh, are you telling me that, that, that the presence that was in the Ark of the Covenant, that now dwells inside Trace? Oh my gosh, what songs is he going to write? Are you kidding me? Todd, he used to be a junkie. The, the enemy thought he had him and now he, he has the power of the living God dwells on the inside and he can go anywhere. This is a sandbox. It's a sad, if you play video games, you know what I'm talking about. You can go anywhere, do anything and you get points for it all. That's the beauty and the power of what we're called into. It's sonship, guys. It's sonship. It's not, it's not a rational thing. It's reactionary. It's our nature. It's what we're called to be. So wherever you go, wherever you go, pull things into the gravity of your sonship. 
When you arrive in a situation in a room, you should shift that room. If it does not look like the kingdom, then why are you there? Then why are you there? Right? Can you imagine that? It's like the angel's like, hey, there's chaos down there in that one thing. It's like, wait a second, don't we have a guy in there? Like, what, what's... Don't we have someone? You know what I'm talking about? When you're like, hey, don't we have a... What's he doing? I'm t- I promise you guys, like, when we get to the cafeteria of heaven and you have to sit across from like the Davids and all those people, they're like, so tell us, tell us, what, what, what was it like? What, what, was we, what was it like to have the presence of the living God dwelling on the inside of you? Well, we did some pretty cool hashtags and we, you know, we, it was awesome. You should have been there. We wore masks and we, it was a, we were awesome. No, right? You are going for eternity to be living with people that will have to tell stories. Don't you want a little taste of the glory? Come on, somebody. All right. All right. So you find the promise for your problem. Ah, baby, you want me this was going to happen. Man, I'm not going to get to a lot of it. But you find the promise for your problem. It's what I call the clapback. Come on. Right? And, and, uh, and um, I like this because um, when I went to the Urban Dictionary, where you should never go for definitions, by the way. But it says, a clapback is to respond to an insult by answering while clapping your hands in the rhythm of your words in order to add emphasis. You guys know what I'm talking about. Listen. <laughs> what are you doing, bro? That's the clapback. And I feel like the divine clapback is what Jesus said, right? Whenever every enemy came with temptation, but he was like, listen, it is written. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, I don't care. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I don't care how gangster you are. When someone claps three times in your face like this, over three times, you're done. You're like, I ain't messing with this one. So basically, that's what the word is. It's our divine clapback. Come on, somebody. Right? The enemy comes and is like, ooh, you're going to get that Delta variant. I told you. I told you. You should be like, no, listen, it is written. None of this disease of Egypt. See, that's why the enemy's greatest weapon against our generation is distraction. That's why he wants to keep us distracted because when we do not know our rights, when we do not know, how many of you guys love watching that? Because a little clip went on TikTok or YouTube, whatever, and it's just people who knew the law and whenever they're in situations and it's like someone's like, someone's making something up. Listen, I, I, I respect authority. I love res- authority and everything, but there's just something about someone who knows their rights as a citizen. As a citizen, and someone who came here is not a citizen, I would look over here and I'm like, oh my gosh, do they know the power of being an American citizen? Do they understand the value? And now we're all citizens of a greater kingdom. And God took his Holy Spirit and filled, it, filled us with his Holy Spirit without measure, y'all. That means the wisdom of heaven, the wisdom that understands everything from the beginning of time till the end of it, dwells inside this little head that forgets our anniversary. Sorry, Pam. It dwells on the inside. Why do we not pull on that? Oh, man. Anyways, listen to this. So that's how you pray. So you find the promise and then you thank God because by the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus, it's already purchased. That's why when you read this story about the, the sorry, when, when, uh, when Paul talks about the armor of God in Ephesians, right? He says you put on this like hardcore armor and everything. And then he doesn't say and you charge at the enemy. No, he says and you stand. And you stand. Because the battle has already been won, right? 
because you stand positionally superior. So all the enemy can try and do is to throw things to get you to come down to his level. But we stand in that in the full armor of God. And we just literally, so that's what we do. We find the promise, right? And, and then we pray the promise over our, our problem. And that's, that's the clapback. So how do we pray? Um, Matthew 16, verse 9. I love the Passion Translation for this particular. It's like, oh, it, it is brilliant. I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. This is what it says, right? When he talks about, we know this, uh, this story with Peter and, uh, and Jesus. But Jesus says this. He says, I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. Come on, somebody. Do you understand that you are a proxy of the kingdom of heaven? Come on, somebody. Do you understand that the Zimbabwean ambassador to the U.S., wherever his steps is not the U.S., it is Zimbabwe. Do you understand that if he does something it's, called, it's what you call a diplomatic incident. Do you understand that if he does something against the American system, it's a declaration. They say Zimbabwe has done this. That is the power of being an ambassador. Because, hey, there is a particular piece of land in the southern part of Africa called Zimbabwe. But wherever he is, he's a representation of that within the U.S. Do you understand that literally right now you are a walking representation of the kingdom of heaven? And what the scripture is saying is like, hey, there are things which are forbidden in heaven. You don't, have, you don't, you don't need a crazy imagination to know that sickness is forbidden in heaven. Right? So that means you have the, key, the keys to the kingdom. The keys to the manifestation of the kingdom is you walking in your sonship and anything which is misaligned with the culture the laws, the rules, and the abundance of heaven, you call that thing into alignment. You understand. See, here's, it's one of those things. I don't know what you guys think about this theologically, but it works for me. It works, it works wonders, right? So basically in the Genesis, right, he gave me dominion over the earth, right? I still remember this because Pam was forcing me to take my vitamins and everything. I wasn't taking them. I was hiding them out of my tongue and then spitting them out. But anyways, right? But, but, but when I started reading, she's like, you need all these things. I mean, you read all the things which are in multivitamins, right? It's stuff like zinc and iron and all these things. Do you understand that the human body, this right here, is literally the earth. It's, it's the ground. Yeah. And the Bible gave me dominion over this. So when I'm sick, I literally, right? It's a little weird, but I do it. I'll stand in front of the mirror and my faith is low. And I'll be like, I have dominion over this piece of earth. So I command you to line, and I exercise my dominion over this piece of earth right here because scientifically that's literally what it is. Do you understand this? It, it, the kingdom is us finding things which are aligned and going. When I pray for healing, for example, it's very simple. Here's how I pray for healing. I know, I fundamentally know that when God made man, when God made everything, he said it was good. So his original blueprint for my body is a good, fully functioning ecosystem of awesomeness, right? But then through sin, some things happen and maybe my body isn't doing that. So now as a son, I have the authority to come and say, hey, I command everything which is misaligned with my father's original intent over this body to line up right now in the name of Jesus. Kingdom, come. Kingdom, come over this sickness. Go, go. Whatever that sickness is, go. And through that, that right there is how you pray for things. Prayer isn't begging God. Prayer is literally God saying, I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness. You are a proxy for me. 
The worst thing Zimbabwe could ever have is an insecure ambassador. Come on. Someone's like, I don't know. Will the Americans like me? I don't know. Hey, what, what, do, we, what do Zimbabweans think about this? No. Ambassadors come, usually they come from law, right? They come from a law background and they become like ambassadors and everything because they have to, to understand what we are talking about. Oh, Jesus. Let's go. All right. Why do we fight? It's very simple. You have a good thing. Everybody say, I have a good thing. James 1 verse 17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven and he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So if it's good and perfect, it's from your Father. Come on, somebody. Just like a little disclaimer on here. The reason it says good and perfect is because there are some things which are good gifts. The word perfect there is teleos, right? And teleos literally speaks to maturity. A good gift in the wrong timing is destructive. A good car to a 10-year-old is going to be destructive. So, so many people are like, man, I want this job. It's a good job. But then the timing of your maturity, that job is going to take you away from the presence of the Lord or whatever it is. I'm not setting a dangerous precedent. You know what I'm saying? But when it comes from the Father, it's both good and timely. So the Bible here says that your Father is a good Father. Therefore, He gives you a good gift, right? So your marriage is a good gift. Even though the manifestation might not necessarily be so, but the concept of you being married is a good thing. Your job, right, the ability for you to be gainfully employed and create wealth and to give to those who are in need is a good thing, even though the manifestation may be far from that. So we get these good things from the Father, right? That's what it is. But how many of you guys know that good things attract thieves, right? I've never seen a thief going around, like, sneaking around dumpsters and it's like, yeah, I'm going to steal this trash. No, right? They're like, ooh, he's got a nice car. His must have nice jewelry. And when you're away from home, they steal. Why? Because good things attract thieves. And the moment a thief comes and steals something from you, he has taken ownership. Do you know that if you catch a thief stealing something, or if they steal something and they step outside into the street, as far as they're concerned, it's theirs. If you try to take it back from them, they will defend themselves for something which is fundamentally yours. So the moment the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he takes your good thing, he will defend to keep that thing because that he is just a bad dude. So the reason we have to fight is because you have good things. You have a good marriage. You have good children. You have a good job. You have good things, right? And he has given you the right, the sword of his spirit, right? And alignment with his son so that you can wage warfare and get those things back. There are some of us here that God gave you a good child and prophetic words were spoken over that child. And now the enemy has that child chained to their instincts in addiction and living like an animal. And we're going to get them back. Because when I, when I was in addiction, I'm telling you this right now, there's nothing dignified about bondage. There's nothing dignified about bondage. And it took people saying, no, you cannot have this one. I don't know if you guys have ever heard it, but like Corey Russell's, like his testimony, he has an incredible testimony of how he even got saved. If you guys have never um, heard, I think it's in Asian Paths, if I'm not mistaken. But there was a friend of his, and they were all kind of living this wild life and everything. And this, this friend's mother went to the potter's house, and T.D. Jakes was, was preaching a sermon, and he was saying, hey, it's time to get your kids. Go get your kids. And so she went, and she said, this is the spirit. And wherever he was... Right? And they were all drunk or whatever it was. And this guy has an encounter. He starts seeing angels because his mother is fighting for him and whatever. And then he turns around and he's like to his friend Corey Russell. I can't even imagine like a, a wild Corey Russell. It's like, man, I, I can't. But he turns to Corey and he's like, hey, you got to turn, Corey. Heaven or hell, what are you going to do? And through a mother praying, we get a Corey Russell. 
Because that's the power of the one. We fight for the one. Okay, can I do this in 10 minutes? I think I can. Hey, we can, we can jump into this. We can jump into this later. But Mark 5, verse 1 to 20, it talks about the uh, demoniac, right? Uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be like Mark 5 and everything. Now, you know how people are always saying that they need to hear from the horse's mouth? But I found out that uh, the, the pigs were like, oh, no, we want to tell this story as well. Do you guys have that little clip yeah. of the demoniac? But uh, check this out if you guys haven't seen it. But Almost died yesterday. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I feel like that's literally what happened. It's like the pigs are like, yo, girl, I almost died yesterday. <laughs> you know that crazy dude that's always sitting, but, 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 but that's essentially the story, right? That happens in, um, about the, the demon-possessed man, all right? But it says, verse 5, verse 1, it says, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. Everybody say Gadarenes. This is going to be important. And then um, there's this man, and then all these things are happening. I'm going to skip to this. And it says, verse 8, And he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Everybody say Legion. So those who fed the swine. So anyways, Jesus came the permission, and then they went into the pigs, as you heard Piggy here tell the story. And it says, So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And then verse 15, When they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed. Everybody say legion. In his right mind, they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And he got into the boat. And he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. So this guy's like, Jesus, you've set me free. Let me roll with you. Let me follow you. Verse 19 says, However, Jesus did not permit him, but say to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis. Everybody say Decapolis. All that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Right? In order for us to understand what's happening here. So there's this demoniac and he's demonized and he's terrorizing an entire region, right? And, and, and this region is called the region of the what? The gatherings, right? And so when you look at this, I was like, wait, in order for us to understand what was really happening here, why this was such a big deal and why Jesus encountered a storm on his way to this region, we have to go back to the book of Genesis, exactly. And Genesis 49 verse 1, there's this guy called Jacob and he has 12 sons and then he's like, verse 1 says, and Jacob called unto his son and says, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you which shall befall you in the last days. So he goes through all of them. And when he gets to verse 19, he's talking about his son Gad. He says, Gad, a troop or a legion shall overcome you, but you shall overcome at the last. So in the book of Genesis, right, Jacob gives this prophetic word over here. And in Jesus' day, there is this region. And in this region, it's completely being terrorized. And no one can really evangelize there because there is a man who has a legion. And there's a troop. So Jesus literally crosses the sea, right, to go to 
speak to this man because he understand that there was a divine destiny over this man. And he cast, that's why there was that weird interchange to where they're like, have you come to cast away before our time and everything? Why? Because it was something that had been prophesied in the book of Genesis. You see what I'm saying? So he comes to this man from the tribe of Gad in the Gadarenes and Jesus literally says, hey, do you know what I'm saying? Be free. And he completely frees him. And the guy wants to follow him. Right? He wants to follow him. But Jesus says, hey, no, go and tell the people everything that has been done to you. And it was the region of the Decapolis. Everybody say Decapolis. So Decapolis, Deca means 10, right? That's where you get like Decahedron, which means like a 10-sided, like polyhedron. And this is the type of things my wife says, no one cares, babe. But anyways, (laughs) Deca means 10 and polis, right? Polis means a city, right? Indianapolis, right? Whatever it is. So so it was a 10, it was was Greco-Roman in culture, but very pagan in nature. That's why they could kind of have um, pigs and everything. So in this particular area, the Jewish people were very like, there there was really no way to reach the people in this region. So when all those people happen, what happened when Jesus sets this man free, they kick him out of this region. They don't want him in this region. Like there was no welcome, there was no pomp. They preach him. And then Jesus goes from, um, from there, from Mark, um, from, uh, from Mark and, 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 and he does all these things. And then when we get to uh, Mark 7, this is what it says. It says, then they brought him um, one who had an impediment in his speech and everything. So he comes once again into this region of Decapolis and he took him aside from the multitude and his fingers and he does this miracle. Immediately his eyes were open and the impediment of his tongue was loose and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. So now Jesus comes into this region and all of a sudden he's healing and he can't keep them quiet. Says, and they were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and all the mute to speak, right? That's, that's seven. In Matthew 8, It says, in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them. So listen, he goes from zero engagement with all this Gentile kind of mix. He goes and he leaves just one formerly crazy dude. And when he comes back, he feeds 4,000 in that same region because of the power of one person. Do you understand that the warfare that's over your life is because there were things that were spoken over your life right now to where you could literally change regions? And some of us, all we see is the one person. When Jesus looks at you, he sees the entire region of Decapolis and he sees some of his most profound miracles and they're all held because one person, one person is in bondage. Do you understand that some of your children and some of your kids that you're like, oh, he's just a junkie. He's just all of this. Do you understand that they might be the one person? We're all here today and an entire generation is being impacted by worship because one man, Michael Miller, said yes. That is the power, the power of the one. We see this with the woman of the well. I don't don't have time to get into it, but it's also a fascinating thing and everything. And she comes and Jesus crosses cultural lines to go and literally, literally Speak to this one woman. And this one woman, because, listen, it's the same thing that happened. Because it was, the Samaritans had no dealing with the Jews. But this woman was, we can go into it, she was like a part of a sect of the Samaritans that uh, theologians say the reason she had been married so many times was because she was waiting for the Messiah. And her righteous living, in a sense, was anti the Samaritan way. Because if you're an outcast, in a, if you're good in a bad area, then you become an outcast. And so he says, that's why when she was able to run into the time, no, no, just listen to his prostitute screaming, hey, come see this man. Come see this man. He's like, no, ma'am, you see a lot of men. No. But the reason that they were able to listen to who she was 
was because she was a part of a Samaritan group that were like, whatever. And because Jesus, right? Because Jesus goes and encounters this one woman and she invites Jesus into Samaria. All these incredible miracles happen. Do you realize that there are certain areas that Jesus' invitation and the ticket to all the transformation that's going to happen in that place is through you, the one. And I love this. So when, when, when the disciples come, like they, they're literally like, Jesus, what are you doing talking to a woman and everything? And he says something profound. He says, look up. Do you not see that the harvest is here? Look up. What do you see? He says, look up. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see when you look at the one? Right? You might see a homosexual, but he sees a harvest. You see a hobo, he sees a harvest. You see a junkie, he sees jubilee. You see a prisoner, he sees a prophet. You see a druggie, he sees a deliverer. What do you see in the one? And right now, I feel like Jesus is challenging us to lift up our eyes and get the perspective of heaven and go and fight for the one. If you guys don't mind just kind of um, um, going into the music, these are the type of weightier things I, I love to go deeper into. But I just really feel like from the worship in the back room and everything that there's an anointing for us to just spend, if you guys can spare me five minutes, just spend five minutes right now. And I really want us to go after the one. I really want us to go after the one. I feel like there's someone here that the world has branded, that even the church has branded as this. And that is the farthest thing from your original design from your father. He called you. There's a calling on your life. There's a demographic of people that no one else can reach. Jesus was invited into Samaria and he was welcomed because one person, one person, because of one person. Same thing that happened in the Gadarenes. An entire region, an entire region. N.T. Wright calls that one guy the demoniac, right? The son of Gad. He calls him the first missionary to the Gentiles in that context. See the power. So some of those people who are oppressed and some of those people who are bound, right? Like a Todd. 23 years of addiction. In one moment of encounter, God sets him radically free. And now he stands up here. And he plays for the kingdom. Why? Because the enemy would never oppress or try to steal away things without value. The most lost people in your life, the most lost people in your family, the most lost people in your school are people with a profound destiny. You've heard Brian Barcelona's story. Shifting a generation. But that wasn't always true. There's there's Todd's and Barcelona's. There's people out there. And they will not walk through the doors of our church. We have to go and get them and dust the shame off of them and begin to once again declare the prophetic destinies over their lives, to walk them in discipleship and empower them to be the regional world changers and shakers that the world is. Paul, the greatest apostle that ever lived, we know his story. If you guys don't mind, could you stand up with me right now? He says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Because it's never people that get lost. It's their sense of sonship that gets lost. It didn't say he came to save who was lost. It said he came to save that which was lost. Because the finding of the prodigal son, it says when he came to himself, which means there was a misalignment of perspective and the identity was skewed and he had taken upon himself the, 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 the identity that the situation was piling upon him. And 
I declare right now that there's an alignment that's coming to the people in this room and to the people watching that literally right now as you are watching this there is a shift that's happening and the Holy Spirit is beginning to speak to the destiny and the identity of who you are and we're calling you home in the name of Jesus come on saints begin to pray right now begin to pray in the Spirit let's take some time to pray in the Spirit right now that's what I'm doing when you pray in the Spirit you pray the perfect will of God we don't know why they're in bondage.